to see you all again when church is reopened. Bye! Good morning, SBC! We miss you lots and we can't wait to see you back at church pretty soon. Lots of love from all of us. Bye! Hello, SBC family. This is Lauren and Caleb. We just want to touch base with you guys, uh, especially over since we've had the lockdown period and up to now. Um, I'm sure that people have had good and bad times during this lockdown time and we just want to share a little bit what's been happening with us. We've uh, also had a bit of a tough time, um, especially with uh, me not being fully employed. And I, um, But I do want to thank God that He has been there for us, He has provided for us and we have had everything we needed. Um, and it has been a bit tough having to teach Caleb at, during the time he wasn't at school, but he's finally back at school and um, I think he's enjoying himself. <laughs> uh, finally, after like five months from being off school, he went back. Um, but I just want to share uh, an encouraging word that, you know, if we do the small things, then God is absolutely awesome in the big things. And if we do the possible, then God will do the impossible. So if we can just remember that, I hope that encourages you a bit. And I also wanted to say we miss you guys and we hope that we can see you soon under the tent and actually be able to speak face to face um, and tell all our uh, stories and experiences and great blessings from God. Uh, well, blessings for today. We'll see you guys soon. Bye. Hello, SBC, and welcome to another online service with us. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in with us. We're excited to dive into the next installment of our series, Getting Ready Together looking at fellowship once again this week. But before we do that, I have three things I need to let you know about. Firstly, if you would like to join an in-person service in the month of November, you need to sign up. Perhaps you weren't ready to come and join us in October and you're now regretting that decision. Well, it's not too late. We're gonna be registering on a month by month basis. So if you would like to join us for November, you can head to one of the links on screen um, and register yourself and your family for a service. You can choose to be part of the eight o'clock, the 10.30 or the six, but please do take note that children's ministry is only available in the morning. Secondly, our next-gen team has been providing different resources over the lockdown period to help you guys in this journey of discipling your children. Now that we've started to gather again and that small groups have launched, there are some changes that they would like to let you know about. And so I'm going to hand over to Mark and Nikki, and they're going to bring you an update on what to expect from next-gen in the coming months. Hey parents, as we return to church over the last three weeks, you, you may have noticed that our partnership looks a little bit different on a Sunday. On Sundays, the toddlers and twos cannot go to the creche. This is because we can't socially distance the adults who serve you there. However, we have set up the live feed room that's available at all three services for your convenience. The children from age three until grade four have been coming to Sunday school after being part of family worship. The family worship moment is an awesome opportunity to set the example and to worship together as a family. But we also encourage you to, to sign up for the In The Bags that you can continue this faith conversation at home. The grade five to sixes are staying in church for the sermon. This is mainly because feedback from you is that they were watching the sermons at home with you during lockdown. We have a sermon, a sermon sheet available that they can make notes on to help them concentrate during the sermon. And of course, we also have a connect group for them. We want them to start feeling part of a small community. At the moment, this connect group is online, but from the beginning of November, we'll be meeting here at the church from half past four until half past five on Tuesday. Our grade 7s to 12s have been meeting in connect groups on Tuesday. We meet at the church from half past 5 to 7. We have a grade 7 to 9 connect group and a grade 10 to 12 connect group. We don't want our teenagers only to be in small groups though. 
to mums and dads, won't you help them to prioritise coming to church on Sunday, being part of the bigger body? And as we think forward, we, we ask that you, you pray for us, that together we can reach our next generation. Thanks for that, Mark. And next, now Matt Johnson would like to bring us an update on behalf of the elders on how the SBC finances are looking in this season. So over to Matt. Hi, the SBC. I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, another month has passed and we've been giving you these month-by-month -month updates on the finances. And so uh, we did come in under what we required for our operational costs and salaries, etc. Um, for the month of September, but we didn't have to go into our bonds to cover the shortfall for which we're very grateful to God for. So, uh, we just recognize these are crazy times, each month is different, but we're really grateful for your faithfulness and the way that you continue to partner uh, for the Kingdom um, through your faithful giving. And uh, we're continuing to trust the Lord, He's leading us through the storm, He's done so, so well thus far. And so, we're looking forward to giving you next month's updates and continuing to trust in His faithfulness. Thank you. Thanks for that, Matt, and thank you, Church, for the way that you guys have so faithfully and sacrificially given in this season. We're going to dive into God's Word now. You're invited to stay tuned when the sermon ends, and we'll worship the Lord together through song. And you can also choose to worship the Lord uh, this morning by giving. You can give by EFT, or you can worship Him by sharing an answered prayer or testimony in our commentary. That's always a great encouragement to hear what God is doing in your lives. Hope you guys have a great service. Church. My name is Mark and it's my wonderful privilege to bring you the word this morning. We have been going through a series over the last few weeks called Getting Ready Together and we've been looking at the same portion of scripture. It's Acts chapter 2 verse 42 to 47. And we're going to look at that again today and if some of you uh, listen to that and go, oh I'm getting a little bit tired of hearing uh, about Acts chapter 2 verse 42 to 47, I want to share a little quip from um, President Nixon. President Nixon once famously said, when I'm tired of hearing it, I know that my staff have got it. And when my staff are tired of hearing it, I know that the press have got it. And when the press are tired of hearing it, I know that the nation's got it. And he was speaking about the importance of repetition and particularly repeating those things that are the most fundamental and important to what you believe. And we need to keep repeating those things so that we will get it. So if you're tired of hearing about Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, that's a good thing. It means you're starting to get it. And we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, that the early church was devoted to four things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. And they were devoted to the prayers. And we really believe as elders that the Lord is calling SBC to devote ourselves to these four things as well. This is why we are spending so much time uh, teaching on this. We're spending so much time praying through this and meditating on it and trying to apply it to our lives, to our church, because we believe that this is from the Lord. It's foundational to everything that we are about. We want SBC members to be able to get woken up in the middle of the night and someone say to you, what is SBC all about? And you can rattle off 
those four things. We are devoted to the apostles' teaching. We are devoted to the fellowship. We are devoted to the breaking of bread. And we are devoted to the prayers. In week one, we looked at being devoted to the apostles' teaching. And we saw that just like when a newborn baby is born and they are so desperately hungry for milk, they cry out immediately. So the same thing happens when the Holy Spirit births new life inside of us. We are hungry for spiritual food. And this is why the early church devoted themselves to the teaching. They came hungry. They knew they needed spiritual nourishment to survive. And we must ask ourselves today, church, do we come on a Sunday hungry for God to speak to us? If we don't, we need to um, evaluate that and pray about that and bring it before the Lord and ask Him to stir hunger inside of us. Because the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We want to come to church on a Sunday hungry to hear from God. In week two, we saw how they submitted themselves to the authority of the preached word. They came with the right attitude. They came knowing that this was God speaking to them, and so they submitted to the authority of the preached word. What is the attitude of our hearts to the preached word on a Sunday? Are we in submission? And in the week three, we looked at how they sought, sought to apply the word of God to their lives in every aspect of their lives. They didn't just come and listen in the temple and then move off with their lives, but they carried on talking about it and meeting together and helping each other apply the word of God to their lives. And this led to total transformation for them. Last week, we looked at being devoted to the fellowship. And Matt spoke particularly about being devoted to the large fellowship. And we saw how when they met in large gatherings, that God spoke to them and he moved powerfully by the Holy Spirit in their meetings. They didn't just come once a month. They came every day. They devoted themselves to it. And today I want to speak about devoting ourselves to the fellowship, but not the large fellowship only, but also devoting ourselves to the small fellowship. And we see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, where it says, Day by day, attending to the temple together, the large gathering, and breaking bread in their homes, the small gathering. They would go to the temple to hear the apostles' teaching, but then they would go into their homes and they would discuss together what they had heard and help one another to apply it to their lives. Why did they do that? They wanted to be doers of God's word, not just hearers. We saw that in Acts chapter 2 verse 37, where after they, they heard the, the sermon, they, their first response is, brothers, what must we do? They got it that you hear and you do. And to help each other do, they went into homes and they discussed it. As we've already seen from President Nixon, we can't just hear something once. We have to hear it again and again and again before we get it. My first point this morning is, why do we need a small fellowship? And I think that's an important question to ask, especially in our uh, day and age. Right from the outset, we have to acknowledge the unique challenges we have in the 21st century as a modern church. I see two issues we are facing that the early church didn't have to contend with. And we have to face these head on and acknowledge them, or they're going to continue to stifle our growth. The first issue I see 
today is busyness. As I've tried to motivate and encourage uh, people to join small groups, what I've found is the reason for them not attending is not a lack of will, in my opinion, it's a lack of time. People are willing, they, they want to go to the small group, they, they get that it's important and it's beneficial, but they just don't have time. The busyness of life is stopping them from attending to something they do see value in. People seem to think that uh, being busy is a good excuse. I want to test that this morning. I don't think it's a good excuse. My prayer as I've prepared the sermon is that God will convict your heart about the excuses you hide behind. And that you will really interrogate them and check to see whether they are really valid. I want to say to you, I know you're busy. I know you think you can't make it to small group on a Wednesday. And you've got a bunch of really good reasons for it. But I think if you interrogate and check and pray, you'll start to see that the reasons are not valid. I'll give you an example. I recently uh, went on leave and uh, I, I desperately needed the leave. I took a week's leave. I knew I needed to leave because I was getting extremely grumpy with everything. Um, and I do have a grumpy disposition uh, naturally. I get that. It's unfortunate. But I was bad. Even It was bad, even for me. And I, I took the leave in the hope that my grumpiness would uh, dissipate. But unfortunately, my wife and I found as, we, as I neared the end of the leave, I hadn't gotten better. In fact, I'd gotten worse. Why? And it was quite simple. The, the reason was that I hadn't actually taken leave. I um, continued to work while I was on leave. Some days I worked part of the day and some days I even worked all day. I also have a three-year-old and a, and a five-year-old and I had to look after them every afternoon. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that this is a really bad way to take leave. And we got to the end of my leave and I was as grumpy as ever. The Lord speaks to me in many ways. One of them is through my wife when she's mad. And on that second last day of leave, Anita comes to me angry and just says, uh, basically, stop being a moron. Those weren't the exact words, but those, that was the gist of what I felt the Lord was saying to me uh, through that conversation. And I launch into my excuses. I can't take proper leave, love. I'm too busy. There's too much work to take proper leave. Leave will always look like half days and and. I also, at this stage of my life, love, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old I have to take care of in the afternoons. That's not leave. I can't undo that. I think my excuses, I thought my excuses were valid, but we start to interrogate the, the thinking and we start to realize something that what we thought was a fait accompli or what I thought was a fait accompli, was actually just there was something fundamentally wrong in the way that I was thinking. And I really want to encourage you single men out there, marry up. Marry someone better than you. That's what I did. The amount of times Anita's been able to take me out of a self-perpetuating spiral and help me see something clearly has just been God's grace on my life. And I started to realize after a really good conversation with my wife that me working on leave at its main, at its core, is a sign of a lack of faith in God. 
You see, when I do that, when I start to prioritize my work, the urgency of my work on leave, and I might feel like I'm being a hero because I'm, I'm working on my leave. What I'm actually doing is um, uh, not trusting that God is able to carry the work that I can't get to on his shoulders. I'm forgetting that it's not my work, it's his work. And he wants me to take leave. He wants me to rest. So when these things crop up, if I value that rest and I trust God and have faith in him, then I can leave it to him and leave it in his hands. That's a display of faith. What I was doing was a display of a lack of faith in God. And it really struck me. There was something wrong with the way that I was thinking. But Anita also learned something from that conversation. She saw that she was looking at my leave as an opportunity to work harder herself and for me to pick up more slack at home because I have more time to. And that's true. But what are we valuing when we make those decisions? We are valuing our work and our productivity to our detriment. What we've decided coming out of this conversation with the help of the Lord is the next time one of us takes leave, we are going to value the leave. We are going to value the rest. That means the other person who's not on leave is going to pick up more. So that the person who's on leave can rest well and rest properly. That means from my side, I don't take on any work during my leave time. And from her side, she's going to take on as much of the family stuff as she can so that I can uh, have leave. We are going to gain from that value change. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better father. And I'm going to be a more productive worker when I come back. The question you should be asking yourself if you are too busy to go to small group is, are your values aligned with God's word? And are they really serving you as well as you think they are? Mine were not. The second issue we have in our culture is that we are individualistic in the West. We are completely self-reliant. We don't depend on other people. We can get the job done ourselves. We think we don't need anyone else, but we're wrong about that. And what's interesting is this kind of mindset means I don't mind so much coming to a large gathering because in a large gathering I can come and, and hide amongst their safety in numbers. But I don't really want to be a part of a small gathering where I have to share who I am and have other people share who they are with me. That's a little bit too intimate for us. So we see this in the West. The mega church is exploding. People come to church in their thousands. They love it because I can come and I can hide. We are too self-reliant. In a culture that resists togetherness, more than ever, we need to answer the reasons why it's important to gather in small gatherings. Because we are busier than we've ever been. And we're doing fine on our own. So we think. So why do we need to meet in a small group? Surely the large gathering is enough. We cannot look to culture or our own thinking to answer that question. We have to look to Scripture. Does Scripture answer the question of the importance of small groups? I believe it does. I'm going to show you four areas where 
I see small groups in Scripture. The first one might surprise you. It's in the Trinity. The first place where we see small groups in Scripture is before anything was even created. The first small group that existed was the small group that existed in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had fellowship together before anything else was made. This is the foundational context for small groups. And then God creates man in his image. So we are created to be relational like God. And God who has always been in fellowship, we reflect that. We want that deep down. Even though in our Western kind of culture, we believe something different. Ultimately, deep down, what we really want is to reflect who God is. And who God is, is someone who is in fellowship. We also desire to be in fellowship. And the large gathering won't cut it. Because as I've said already, the large gathering, we isolate ourselves. We show up and we're part of this thing, but we're hiding. We're too isolated. We don't share in the intimacy that is within the Godhead until we are with a few. We desire that in the deepest part of ourselves because we reflect the image of God. The second place where we see small groups being important is the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus built his entire ministry around a small group strategy. He invested everything in 12 men. Yes, he taught thousands, but he saved his best teaching moments for the 12 and sometimes the three. Think about that. A man who could draw thousands of people invested everything in just 12. And the, the success of the early church was built on those 12 men. Jesus made disciples in the context of a small group. Discipleship doesn't happen in the large gathering. Discipleship happens in the small gathering. But what about his teachings? Did Jesus ever emphasize small groups in his teachings? In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 to 20, it says this, and I'm reading from the ESV. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Jesus taught the importance of two or three gathering in his name. He honors that. He is there with us. Sometimes I want to visit a small group and the small group leader is a bit uh, ashamed because he says, I only have two or three of us. Uh, let me Maybe come another time when, when more people can come. We can't be too proud to come when there's two or three people. God shows up for that. I can show up for that. Some of the most powerful moments in small groups have been really small numbers. Jesus taught how important small groups was. We might be impressed by large numbers, but God honors uh, even the smallest groups who gather together and whose hearts are for him. And the last place I want to show you where we see small groups in Scripture is where we started. It's the early church. In Acts chapter 2, the, the early church met in the larger group at the temple, but they also meet in smaller groups in their homes. The large gathering was where they went for worship and teaching and for them witnessing as well because uh, there would have been lots of unsaved Jews 
um, at the temple. But the small gathering was where fellowship and discipleship thrived. That's where they helped one another to understand and to apply and to grow. The reason why we meet in a large gathering today is the same. We, we've seen you can worship on your own, um, and that's great. I do that often. You can worship in a small group. That's also wonderful. But as we've seen over this lockdown period, it's been wonderful to come back together in a large group and worship. How we have missed that. And for the early church, they also went to the temple to worship together. But the number one reason they went there, and we've covered that in the first three weeks of the series, was a devotion to the apostles' teaching. That's why it comes first. It was the teaching. And today we come to church, the big church. We come because we want to hear God speak to us. He speaks through vibrant, charismatic, spirit-led, Bible-based teaching that is in line with His Word. He still speaks through gifted preachers. And we come hungry and expecting God to speak to us in the large gathering, and He does. And if the primary reason for the large gathering is teaching, then the primary reason for the small gathering has to be discipleship. That's where we grow. We hear the teaching, it meditates in, on our hearts, and we come together in small groups and help one another apply it to our lives. We believe that Scripture provides ample evidence for the importance of small group ministry for the life of every believer. Do not think that small groups are for some people, for maybe the super spiritual. Small groups are for everyone. And at our church, we've, we've stopped saying that we are a church with small groups. That's the wrong thing to say. We shouldn't say that. We're not a church with small groups. We are a church of small groups. The small groups make up the church. And more and more, our heart would be that every single person who comes through our doors, who um, commits to SBC, would also commit to a small group and become a part of what God is doing in the large gathering and in the small gathering. The two go together. They are both important. I want to speak about that. That's my second point. How do the large fellowship and the small fellowship work together. I'm going to read two scriptures. One of them I've read already, but we're going for President Nixon's repetition strategy today. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And then three chapters later, it says almost the same thing. Now remember, three chapters later isn't three days later. It's weeks and months later. What does it say? Had they changed their approach? No, it says in Acts chapter 5 verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So far, I've had a bit of a go at people who attend the large gathering but ignore the small gathering. But I also want to speak about the, the opposite of that, which is also a problem. There are people in our church, and I would argue they aren't actually in our church, but there are people whose practice and habit is to avoid the, the large gathering and to only attend the small gathering. Now, 
most of you watching this, that probably doesn't apply to you because this is a Sunday and if you're watching this, then probably you're prioritizing the large gathering as you should. But a lot of you are going to go this week into a small group and you're going to rub shoulders with people you know have not seen the inside of a church in years, but they're committed to small group. You need to challenge them on that. That's not the biblical approach that we are seeing and has been modeled to us. That is harmful to them. And I'm going to show you why now. That's what this point is about. But it's also harmful to the church. We believe that God is calling us to be devoted to the large gathering and to the small gathering. And that the two dovetail together beautifully. Let's look at how that happens. The first thing I want to remind us of is the word devotion. It's the Greek word, Matt said it already, I'm not going to pronounce it as well, but it's pros karterio. And it's made up of two parts, pros and karterio. And pros means to, uh, it implies motion and direction towards. So you're moving in this direction. This is what you're going after. And karterio means that you are strong, steadfast, firm, and enduring. So when the Greek says, the Greek word says that they were devoted to these things, it means that this is the direction they were going in and they remained steadfast and strong, firm, and it endured. It carries on. Don't think that they did it one way for a while and then moved on to something else. No, they were devoted to the fellowship, going to the temple every day and going into the homes every day. They were moving in that direction and they endured in that. They were strong in that. That's what we want. And why? What, did they, what benefit did they get out of the temple? Well, I spoke about it a bit earlier, but I want to uh, unpack it a bit more. Two things were prioritized in the big gathering. The first was worship, which we've spoken about already. And the second was teaching. I want to go over the teaching part a little bit more. Um, the, why did the apostles prioritize teaching in the large gathering? Well, you've got to remember that on the first day of the church, God moved powerfully and 3,000 people got saved. This church was 1,000 strong and God added to their number every day. There are only 12 apostles. So if the house is where you're going to do the teaching, you've got a problem because you only have 12 houses. You can only have the apostles in 12 different places. I was in a small group last night that was huge. There were about 15, 20 of us. It felt way too big. It, it's not the right place to do teaching because if you have to reach thousands of people with spiritual milk and they're all hungry and needing it, then you need to do that in the large gathering. And that's why the apostles prioritize teaching at the large gathering and we continue to do so. Yes, they might have gone into homes afterwards and they might have expounded on the teaching in the homes they got to, but there were many, many other homes. And how did it work in those homes? You just had what you just heard the apostles say at the large gathering. And that's where you discussed it together and you encouraged one another in it and you prayed for one another. And the church grew that way. So if the primary reason for coming to the large gathering is teaching, then again, I want to expound on the primary reason for the small gathering is discipleship. It's here where we help each other grow in the basics. And you learn from people who are further down the road than you. It's always worked that way. I come to a small group. I don't have to be good at 
understanding the Bible. I don't have to be good at praying. I don't have to be good at any of those spiritual disciplines. But there's going to be people there who are better than me and they help me. And you know what happens down the road is more people get saved. And they start coming to small group and they also don't know how to read the Bible. And they also don't know how to pray. And they also don't know how things work. And now you, who know a little bit more than them, are able to help them. That's discipleship. That's the way it worked um, in the early church. Remember, they didn't have everything that we have. We sometimes, I think, have this picture of the early church being so spiritually um, mature and and uh, strong and good at everything. No, Many of us are beyond what, what they were, but we're faithful to what we've got. Sometimes I hear people say to me, I can't go to a small group, Mark. I don't understand my Bible well enough. Uh, I'm not going to be able to contribute. And it's a really ironic way to think about it. Because the sad thing is that if you need help understanding God's word, you shouldn't run away from small group. You should run to small group. That's the perfect place to come and sit and ask questions and watch and observe and grow slowly but surely by learning from other people. Remember, Jesus showed us this in his own discipleship strategy with the 12. He taught the crowds in thousands, but then he made disciples from a small group. It's the way it worked in my life. I'm going to get to that later. Do you see how these two things dovetail together beautifully? We sit under charismatic, spirit-filled, Bible-based teaching in the large gathering, and then we apply it to our lives in the small gathering, and we grow as disciples together, and we end up helping others grow who are a bit further behind us. It's beautiful. If you only come to the large gathering, I've got some questions for you. How well are you doing in the application of what you hear? Who keeps you accountable? Who's helping you if there's something you don't understand? Do you go away and meditate and think on what God has said to you? Or does it leave you the moment you leave the building? Remember, we don't just want to be hearers of God's word. You can come to church every Sunday for your whole life and simply be a hearer. But we want to be doers. Remember Acts chapter 2 verse 37. They were cut to the heart. Preaching should cut us to the heart. And whenever I, I finish a sermon and my wife says to me, what did God say to you? I go, oh, not much. My first thought isn't, wow, that preacher didn't do a great job. My first thought is, God, my heart is hard. Because it doesn't matter who the preacher is. You're going to speak to me if my heart's soft. So the first thing I do when I, when I don't feel cut to the heart in a sermon is I I'd look at myself. And then the second thing, when your heart's been like softened and God's spoken to your heart, the next thing that you do, they did in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, they go, brothers, what should we do? It's always got to lead to an action. Be doers of God's word. And you go, but Mark, I, I, I need help with that. Yes, you do. That's why we have small groups. We, we do it together. We help one another. We, we spur each other on. Matt Johnson asks me every Monday what God said to me on Sunday. No pressure. And I know that he does it to Marina as well. And what I've learned is God doesn't always speak to me on the Sunday. But I'll say to Matt, Matt, just give me some time. Because on a Monday, it's part of my job, but I'm just telling you what happens. On a Monday, I listen to that sermon again. 
because I need to build a toolkit that I'm going to hand out to all of the small groups where I'm going to ask them questions. So I am forced by my job to sift through that sermon again and let it soak into my heart. God often speaks to me on the Monday. If I was only exposed to a sermon once and listened to it once and then moved off, I would simply be a hero. What's helping me become a doer is I'm letting that meditate and marinate into my heart. And I'm accountable to small groups and I'm helping those small groups uh, grow in their faith. And so it's really benefited me. And I feel like God's challenging me to bring more of us along. We've got to get out of this habit of I show up on a Sunday, I listen and I leave. And someone asks me what happened and three hours later I don't remember. That's not the picture we see in Acts. They, they went straight away into homes and discussed and grew. But the flip side is also problematic. It's impossible to show up at your small group meeting on a Wednesday if you didn't attend the service on the Sunday and you haven't heard the sermon. And if the small group is going to discuss the sermon, which is the direction we move in, you're going to have nothing to contribute. It's impossible to apply something that isn't already in your heart. And we see this. These kinds of small groups typically become social gatherings. They, they don't discuss God's word. And spiritual things don't happen because people are showing up with so little of God's word in their heart. They can't, they can't apply it. Or the small group leader might feel the need to, to become the teacher and to teach the uh, material because no one's listened to it so far. But this is also a problem because the same thing that happens on the Sunday when people leave having heard but do nothing about it, that's what ends up happening on a Wednesday when it becomes pure teaching. People love it. I used to lead a small group like that. We, I had 30 people coming every Wednesday. I was so proud of myself. Teaching. People loved it. They love being together. They love hiding. No one ever gets asked a question. No one ever feels challenged. They come up to me at the end and go, Mark, great job. You did well. And um, I look back on that time now and I realize I don't think I'm going to get a lot of jewels in my heavenly reward for the way I led that small group. It looked impressive, but there wasn't anything really going on because they all left and they never replied anything I ever said to them. We need time to meditate on what God has said to us. So if your small group on a Wednesday is you just teaching people, yes, you might feel validated in your gifting. Yes, you might get encouraging comments from uh, your group. But the question you need to be asking yourself is, are my guys growing by just listening? And we believe, I want to share my vision for small group ministry, or our vision, I should say. Our vision for small group ministry is that and um, I, I want to read it to you so I don't, don't, don't get it wrong. And um, we, we don't want our church to, our small groups to just be social gatherings. And, and we don't want it to just be mini churches under various individual teachings. We can easily fall into that. No, our vision is to produce mature disciples filled with the Spirit and producing abundant fruit for the glory of God. Mature disciples, a small group leader should be asking themselves if someone's been with them for a, a year or two, is this person maturing in their faith? Do I see evidence of that? Are they growing in their love for God's word and in prayer and and or do I lead a teaching series every week and judge that they are growing by the fact that they like to come? People fall into habits. They will loyally come to your small group every week. It is not a sign that real life is 
happening there. I've led groups like that. How are we going to achieve mature discipleship in small groups? We believe it happens by being devoted to the large gathering on the Sunday, sitting under spirit-filled, charismatic, Bible-based preaching, and then applying that to your life via the small group on the Wednesday that you are also devoted to. It means you go every week. You make every opportunity available to yourself to go to that. You must be devoted to both for this to work. You cannot be devoted to one or the other. It's insufficient. My final point this morning, I want to just talk about what do small groups look like at SBC. You might be sitting there listening to some of this going, Mark, so I haven't been to a small group yet. Are you saying that all, all the small groups do is talk about the sermon on the Sunday and apply it to their lives? And it's a great question. Um, that's not all that it's about. Our small groups are built around five pillars. And the first one is fun and fellowship. A small group, some of us, we get this picture in our mind. We see people sitting there with their Bible, solemnly reading and praying. And it's like, if that's what a small group was like, I also would never want to go. But a small group should be fun. It should have a joyful atmosphere where, where everyone wants to be together. And... Um, some of my best times in small group have been when we've taken a really fun approach. I remember uh, uh, bringing a, a board game the one day and saying, guys, today we're just going to have a bit of fun together and play a board game. And I still remember at the end of it, one of the small group members looking at me with doughy eyes saying, can we do this every week? No, but it must be fun. And I remember another time we went out for supper. And supper is a great thing, way to bring in some, some fun into your groups. I really want to challenge small groups that are running. Start trying to have meals together. That's the way the early church did it. It really adds to this vibe of joy and fun when we are eating together. And I remember taking my small group out to a, a, a restaurant. We were young adults. We had a bit more money in our, in our pocket back then. So we all went, went to the restaurant together. And one of the other small group leaders came with. And at some, point, at some point during the meeting, he leans over to me and says, Mark, this is what a small group should be like. And I looked around and I realized what he was saying. Man, people were laughing. They were chatting, but it was more than just that. You could see that real cornonia was happening. As Matt spoke about last week, cornonia is when we share with each other. This wasn't one guy teaching, talking, talking, and we all nod and leave. This was everyone together talking, and, and real conversation can develop out of that where I really share my life with you. And then there's prayer. It's wonderful. I want to read something from one of the early church fathers, a description of um, uh, the early church. So Tertullian recounts, I'm going to read it, it says, when the Roman government became suspicious of the early church, they sent spies into their services. The spies came back and said that the Christians were a peculiar type of folk. They did not have idols. Instead, they worshipped one by the name of Jesus who was absent. Then they added, how those Christians love each other. How they have fellowship. Cornonia. One with the other. That should be the mark of the Christian through all ages. The first pillar for small groups in our church is fun and fellowship. This isn't just a social gathering and just fun. No, there's real life sharing going on. The second pillar is the one I've dealt with today, and I do think it's the most important one, and it's discipleship and study. Remember the vision. We want to produce mature disciples. We don't just want fun every Wednesday and guys growing in friendship only. We want 
to produce mature disciples. That means people that are growing and maturing in their faith. And this is why the direction of the small group is built around the strategy of applying what God is saying to us on a Sunday, because that is how we grow. For this series, every small group leader has received a set of questions from me on a Monday that I ask them to send to the small group members uh, so that they have an opportunity to meditate and think about the sermon via those questions. They come, hopefully, warmer and more ready to contribute and share. In Colossians, it says, when we gather together, every one of you has a hymn and something to share, a prayer, a prophecy. Every one of you comes. That's the most dynamic uh, time in a small group when everyone is ready, everyone is warm, and everyone realizes, I'm here to share. I'm not just here to receive. The third pillar uh, I want to speak about is also so important, and it's evangelism. And we want our small groups to be high-challenge environments. Not just, like, make it easy for everyone. No, we want to challenge them. And some small group members might, uh, small group leaders might feel like, Mark, I don't want to do that because if I, if I challenge my group too, uh, too much, they're going to leave. And, and I want to challenge their thinking. So what? Jesus preached one of the most hectic sermons to thousands of people who were following him. And the sermon was basically called Eat Me. It was the sermon where he said, you must eat my body and drink my blood. And the result of that sermon was, everyone left. It was the most challenging sermon he preached to date. Even the disciples who stayed, the twelve, said to him, this is hard. This is a hard teaching. But the twelve who were being made disciples, who were challenged, stayed. Jesus was not afraid to lose people. And challenge the people that we're with him. We believe that small groups should be high challenge. People shouldn't just come and it's comfortable and easy. No, we want to challenge you. And how do we challenge you in evangelism? The small group prays together and starts to share. This is someone in my life. This is a family member. This is a friend. They don't know Jesus yet. Let's pray together for this person. And pray for me to have boldness to share my faith. I just spoke to someone yesterday who attended a funeral. And he said, Mark, I was so convicted at the end of that funeral. I knew this guy well. I spent many times with him. I often felt convicted to share the gospel with him. And sometimes I did. But I, I felt at the end after he died, I hadn't done enough. And I felt like God woke me up. And I realized there's this person and this person and this person. And as he's telling me the story, I'm just going, share that with your small group. That's something that becomes part of your small group where you pray together. And, and you, that spurs your small group members on to go, Because what he said was so true. He says, death wakes us up. When someone dies, we suddenly get woken up to the reality that our time here is short. And are we giving ourselves to the most important things? But we don't just want to be high challenge. We also want to be high care. So the fourth pillar is caring. And the small group is the perfect place to love um, each other, to share our real burdens. And the small group is the first port of care. So this year, when someone's had a baby, who jumps in first? The small group to provide meals for for that couple. When when someone's sick, the small group's arranging uh, care packages. When there's a crisis, the small group's there. Houses got burnt down this year. The the small groups are there as care, uh, to provide care for um, uh, the church. There's a church, I'm not going to name them, 
but they're a great church, uh, an advanced church. And I spoke to the guy in charge of small group strategy there, and, and he just said to me, Mark, you know, he doesn't see one person for counseling unless they're in a small group. There, the rule there is if you're going to come to the pastor for help, you must first have been through the channel of small group. Small group helps first. The pastor only helps those that the small group can't help. And if people are outside a small group, they don't help them. They say, if you first get into a small group, then your small group will help you. Then after that, if you still need help, we'll help you. That guy doesn't look like he needs to take leave. One of the reasons why I'm struggling a little bit here is we've got a church of hundreds and hundreds of people and some of them aren't in small groups and it seems to me that most of the time people that aren't in small groups tend to be the ones that need the most pastoral care. This is why we build care into our small groups so that the church is cared for so that the full-time guy has a more manageable load. The last pillar is um, worship and prayer. So worship happens in the big gathering, and we love that. But worship also happens in the small gathering. It might mean that you have a worship leader, which is fantastic. Sometimes I've had a worship leader in my small group. It's been wonderful. But it might also mean you need to get creative as a small group and go, we're still going to prioritize worship. You know, sometimes that meant we're just going to pray praise to God at the start. Short one-line praise items at the start. We always start off with an attitude of worship. That should be a part of the small group, but also prayer. And um, it's a wonderful space to grow in prayer. The first time I went to a small group, I didn't know how to pray. And my first prayer was probably rubbish. I'm going to share it with you at the end, what my first private prayer was. I don't remember my first public prayer, but I was nowhere. Didn't know where Genesis was in the Bible. Didn't know how to pray, but there I am sitting in a small group. But that's where I learned it's a wonderful space to learn how to pray. Last night I was at a small group meeting and I challenged the small group leader in this that we don't just want the two or three strong people to pray, we want everyone to pray. And um, he came up with a great idea on the spot. He said, right, we're going to go around in a circle and everyone's going to pray one, one sentence. And there were about 15 to 20 people and it was young to old. There were guys in school still and every single person prayed. Man, did I feel the Holy Spirit moving and was he pleased as everyone prayed? It's not about how good you are at praying. It isn't about how long or um, uh, flowery your prayers are. Man, God wants to hear his children speak to him. And for some of them, that might have been the first time they prayed out loud in a group. That's how you learn. It was wonderful. I attended another small group where um, I asked the small group leader, what time do you want me to finish? Because uh, they asked me to lead the, the meeting. And uh, they said about 7.30. So I finished at 20 past 7, which is really good for me. And um, I handed back to them and said, okay, we have left 10 minutes. Lead the prayer time. Now, I thought 10 minutes would be a plentiful amount of time to pray. Because usually in small groups, I've seen two or three people pray. So 10 minutes is plenty. The small group leader proceeds to go at every person and say, okay, how are you doing? And then the next person, and this was a Zoom meeting. The next person says, Pray for what that person just said. And 40 minutes later, it felt like 10 minutes, but 40 minutes later, we finished at 8 o'clock. I remember looking at the time and being shocked. Every single person in that group, it was a big group as well, had shared something and every single person had prayed a one-liner. That, uh, or a few sentences, that small group leader is discipling her group in prayer. 
She's maturing them in prayer. It's wonderful. That's what happens in a small group. Now, not every group is going to be strong in all five of those areas. Some groups are stronger in one area than another. But those five pillars give us something to evaluate our groups against and something always to, to set goals in and grow in. I had to do that. I've led small groups for, for decades. But I often looked at those five pillars and went, Mark, you've got to work on this one. This one's not happening in your group at the moment. And that's why those five pillars are there. They're helpful to us. I said I'm going to conclude um, with a story. And uh, I'll make it short. I gave my life at the age of 14. No big gathering. No small gathering. Did not know how to read the Bible. Did not know how to pray. I was unchurched. It was by God's grace that I found SBC. I was playing cricket in the street. And someone from SBC was there. They invited me to church and I came to the large gathering. Pretty soon afterwards, I got invited to the youth gathering, which was also fairly large. And I loved both because I could come in and hide. Nothing was really asked of me. But there was a youth leader there who found me. And he asked me to come to small group. And I said no. I was afraid. And every week he asked me. I'm so glad he never gave up on me. Don't give up on people when they say no the first time. Eventually, because he wouldn't stop asking me, I said, I'll come to small group. And it was there where I first saw Christians pray. It was there where I first saw Christians reading the Bible together. And that motivated me and encouraged me to start reading the Bible. That motivated me and encouraged me to start praying. You know what my first prayer was? I remember it clearly. Not the public one, the private one. My first private prayer went like this. Lord, I want a girlfriend and I want her to be hot. Amen. That was the level of maturity we were dealing with. And look where I am today. I'm not trying to say that in a proud way, but I'm just trying to say sometimes we look at someone, you could look at that 14-year-old kid who knows nothing about anything, and you say, come on, pray something, and you pray something in the small group meeting, you go, oh, is he even saved? And yet, because I was in that small group and I was with people who were helping me and who were further ahead than me, this is where I am today. It's how God works. I don't think I'd be here without Robbie Hammond or without that small group ministry. I see God's hand in that. And over the last 25 years, small groups have been such a blessing to me. I have um, met my wife in a small group. Joey, get ready for more young guys joining small groups. I, my best friends have come out of small group gatherings. I have had words and encouragements given to me at the right moment in small groups. I've uh, been able to use my own gifting in small group meetings probably more than in, in any other church context and as I've already shared some of them some of my best moments this year alone my best moment this week was the small group meeting last night is God speaking to you about something today let's pray Father I want to pray for two groups this morning there's people who are already in small groups and I really want to pray Lord if They've been coming to small group too cold and not ready to share. I pray that, that Colossians verse over them, Lord. I pray that you would stir them by your spirit. And when they come to this message today, that, Lord, you'd really convict them and that they would meditate on what you said to them in their hearts and be able to go after thinking about it and go to small group this week and really bring something that they can share with their groups. 
And Lord, I also want to pray for those who are listening to this message today who haven't uh, yet decided to try small groups. I pray that you would convict them by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to show them that they need this. I pray, Lord, if they need a Robbie Hammond, I pray you'd send someone into their life who would ask them again and again and again until they go, Lord. And I pray that they would experience the grace that small group ministry has been to me on their lives and it would help them grow into mature disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.